Welcome to Access Utah. Welcome to Monday. I'm Tom Williams. Glad you've joined us today. Makers, Voices of Utah Women is a new documentary. It premieres tomorrow evening on KUED. According to the producers, the film tells the story of the women's movement in Utah through first-hand accounts of leaders and activists who fought to alter the social fabric of the state. Here's a bit of the open from the movie. Well, the idea that a woman would want an independent identity was a shocking idea, a totally shocking idea. The women's movement was very, very divisive. There were far more women that were opposed to the Equal Rights Amendment than were supporting it. We were the, the bad ones, we were the, the, we were the ungrateful ones, we were uh, not following the rules that the society had set for us. It transcended normal political discourse. It really was a battle. That's a bit from the documentary Makers, Voices of Utah Women. And we're going to look back at that time. Very significant time, uh, not only nationally but here in Utah. The 1970s, the women's movement in Utah. And uh, we bring in the producer of the film, Nancy Green. Thanks. Welcome back to the program. No, thanks for having me. We uh, welcome in uh, three women who have got, gone on to significant careers and uh, who are featured in the film. And remember, first-hand accounts from, the, uh, from that time. Uh, we bring in as well former Congresswoman uh, Karen Shepard. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Utah Supreme Court Justice Christine Durham is with us. Thank you. Good morning. And Utah Eagle Forum President Gail Ruzica. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, so let me start with uh, Nancy Green. Um, I, I think um, many who lived through this time have uh, some some selective or uh, interesting memories of the time. I wonder if there were some surprises for you putting this documentary together. Um, I think there were. There were uh, many surprises. I actually didn't grow up in, in Utah. I grew up in New Jersey and uh, remembered, you know, what was happening there. But um, what I found interesting in Utah was just uh, the divisiveness and um, and just the the amount that women were involved or not involved, um, what they knew, what they didn't know, um, and how I think the LDS Church, um, to some degree, actually um, was a great organizer in a way and got a lot of women involved, um, whether pro or against the Equal Rights Amendment. So I think I think just the the level of the discourse and the level of the the separation too between people pro and con here I think was um, was pretty spectacular I'd like to uh, t- take a look at the times uh, before the the significant changes of the 1970s uh, these debates uh, start with Christine Durham on this you uh, w- the, talking about uh, specifically about gender roles what what were the expectations what did you think you could accomplish that maybe changed through the 1970s well, there was an enormous amount of, of change going on in the 1970s. My, my own personal experience was greatly inf- influenced by uh, my educational opportunities and by uh, particularly attending a women's college, Wellesley College, uh, which was one of the original seven sisters who came into existence uh, for the purpose of providing first-class education for women in an era where women were not admitted uh, to some of the dominant male institutions in higher education. So I I emerged from my education with the notion that women could pretty much do what they wanted and, of course, like many in my generation, discovered that uh, my presence was not only unexpected in many quarters but not particularly welcome. So um, I, I really saw myself as having opportunities that a lot of other women had been denied and felt a responsibility to open doors for other women and to work on changes in the larger society. And the Equal Rights Amendment, of course, was a, a prime example of an opportunity to change the, change the baselines, uh, change the expectations for gender roles. Emma Luthane is quoted in the movie saying that she, you know, grew up with these very defined gender roles, uh, but she had uh, something inside. She wanted independence. Uh, Karen Shepard, you tell a, uh, a very interesting, impactful story in the in the film about applying for a job, and uh, you were told that you were very qualified, but unfortunately, a man had applied for the job as well. 
Yes, that's true. I had uh, graduated with a master's degree, and I had taught at a junior college in Washington State and a four-year college in Cairo, Egypt, and had come back uh, to Provo, Utah, where my husband had a business, and applied for a job at a technical, well, it's actually uh, the um, university, uh, Utah Valley University now. Then it was a technical college when I applied. And I was told that I was the most qualified applicant, but a man had applied. And I just said, oh, well, that's it. And I walked out the door not thinking any more about it and went home and told my husband that I would have gotten a job all but for a man had applied. <laughs> and I, I just, uh, I tell that story now and I can hardly believe it. And it was the beginning, however, of, uh, of a period in my life when those kinds of things were happening to me and they were starting to chip away at uh, my understanding of how wrong all of that was. Mm. But Gil that was the time when all of those things were coming to a point where we understood that they were wrong. Mm. Well, to, to take that point to, and uh, have reaction just in general from Gail Rusica, what, what do you remember about those times? I think uh, a lot of women in the film are saying that they felt some unrest. They they wanted uh, more of a voice. They wanted uh, more equality in the workplace. But you describe these times as divisive, and there are many women who didn't want some of these changes. Well, I don't think that anybody ever didn't want equality in the workplace. That's not what we're talking about. Of course, people want equality in the workplace. Uh, women uh, are, are highly qualified and should... Uh, uh, certainly be hired to do those jobs that uh, they're qualified for, and there should never be a time when uh, we're told, well, a man is applied, so therefore you, uh, you don't get the job. That, that was never the issue, but in, in, as these things were happening and, and women were uh, looking at the things that, you know, other things that they'd want to do and, and, ha and having careers and, and moving outside of the home, and, of course, those are all choices that, uh, that women should be able to make and, and went out to make those choices, and and did find find themselves in situations just as uh, Karen has described. However, uh, in in the in this process, sometimes the pendulum swings way too far the other way. And so, in this movement, this equal rights movement, uh, it went beyond uh, just the idea that you know instead of men and women being equal in the workplace and 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 other things that really were already in the law, it was it was suddenly that men and women are the same. And men and women aren't the same, and there are certain things that have been in the law, certain protections in the law that have to do with the fact that women are the ones that bear the children. Uh, it, usually it's been the role of the woman that's, that if they, they choose is the one that stays home and cares for the children. As this, this is happening and more and more women are going to work and more and more children in daycare centers, uh, there were so many things that said, okay, if we're going to be equal, we're going to be equal in every way. Uh, one of the issues that we that was back there was uh, women in combat. And, you know, when, when we had that uh, Supreme Court decision that had to do with whether women could be drafted or not, it had to be, they, you know, women won that battle because they said, well, because women are not in combat, women can't be drafted. Well, we've had years and years of this constant uh, equal, yes, be equal, and now when we have women in combat, who knows what will happen if they bring back the draft. There were so many issues like that. The Social Security issue, that, that there was a period of time when they took Social Security away from women who stayed home and reared their children. Suddenly those special protections in the law that allowed women to stay home and rear their children and still have opportunities were being taken away all in the name of equality. So I think that's when you know, a lot of women, women like myself, got involved and said, whoa, this is not the way we want to go. We don't want to, say, to treat men and women exactly the same because men and women aren't the same. Yes, equality in the workplace, equality in many areas, but don't take away those special protections in the law that allow women to make that choice to stay home and rear their children. That was suddenly being pushed to the back and being said, this is important, and if you do make that choice, don't expect to continue to have those special protections. Hmm. So equality in the workplace, yes, equality, some of these uh, uh, 
measures, yes, but uh, equal rights amendment, a, a bridge too far? Well, yeah, it, it just went, you know, when, when you try to say that men and women are the same, it just doesn't work because men and women aren't the same. Mm-hmm. There are roles for women that men can't fulfill. They just can't. And there are things that men do that they do better than women, things, things like uh, combat in the military, out there on the battlefield. They're stronger. They have, you know, they're, they're, they're built to handle some of those things that women who um, we just, you know, God didn't make us. To be, uh, strong enough to pick a you know a 250 pound man up off a battlefield and and run to a foxhole somewhere and so you know we have to keep those things in mind that we are different and frankly I'm grateful that we're different and I think we complement each other so we shouldn't get so drastic within the law that we lose sight of that. We are going to hear another clip from the movie talking about the ERA. Very interesting time nationally and uh, Utah was very important. Uh, the uh, the failure to pass the area in Utah was uh, one of those watershed moments uh, and uh, very interesting time. We're talking on Access Utah with uh, producer Nancy Green, who uh, made the uh, film that we're talking about, Makers, Voices of Utah Women, a new documentary film that premieres tomorrow night on the KUED. We're also talking with Gail Ruzica, president of Utah Eagle Forum. You heard her right there. Co- former Congresswoman uh, Karen Shepard and Utah Supreme Court Justice Christine Durham. You're welcome to join the conversation here if you would like at one 800 826 1495 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com. We're going to be talking about the Equal Rights Amendment, also very interesting times of the uh, International Women's Year, and we'll bring it forward. We'll ask uh, uh, our guests uh, what they uh, feel that uh, young women should uh, take from uh, uh, reviewing the history of these times. Uh, let's uh, hear this uh, clip. This is on the Equal Rights Amendment, then we'll get reaction. We've already heard some reaction from Gail Rizika. We'll get some reaction from Christine Durham and Karen Shepard on this. There was a national fervor because of the ERA and because of the women's movement at that particular time. And early on in that struggle, a lot of states had just read the wording, said, we're sure, we're for equal rights, and voted it in, and there was little discussion, little controversy. And then the cultural issues and the legal issues got mixed up. It was just too easy to say equal rights. It was too easy. It, it, it didn't say what it would do. Would this change the role of men and women? Um, would it change the sort of um, scriptural interpretation of the meaning of the difference between men and women? Why do they call that the women's movement? All, all women were not part of that. All women were not thinking like that. I liked the things that were different. I liked the things that I was different than my husband. I liked being different than my father. I liked the idea that, uh, that I was treated differently. I like being treated like a woman. I don't want to be treated like a man. Would men and women then have to go into the same bathroom or, you know, serve in the same branch of the service or, you know, just there were, there were all of these unknowns. There was a lot of fear involved in it. Children will grow up homosexual and, you know, it was all of the bad things. I didn't want women to be drafted. There are just things in this equality movement that are not about equality. But but those were very important to people. They, they were worried that a way of life was being challenged where men and women could be kept as separate spheres. There's some of the discussion, as remembered, uh, by participants in the film uh, Makers, Voices of Utah Women, about the Equal Rights Amendment. By the way, just to remind you, uh, here's what it says. I think this is 26 words or so. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That's section one, then the, the enabling sections that are usually accompanying these amendments, section two and three. Uh, so, um, Nancy Green, you, you said you grew up in New Jersey? Uh, and did New Jersey pass this quickly? Um, they did. I think they were one of the states that ratified pretty quick. Um, and growing up, I mean, I grew up in the 1970s. I was, uh, I was a child. But, um, but it's interesting to me because I never questioned equality in that sense. I mean, I understood we, you know, I hadn't achieved pure gender equality. Um, but, but I never really questioned that I didn't have the right to be whatever I wanted to be, that I you know, that, that doors weren't open to me. And it's interesting looking back at this time to see 
um, how hard women fought for those opportunities that I really, although I saw going on in front of me, I really took for granted. Mm. Karen Shepard, uh, there was a voice in the film that said, you know, at first in Utah, it seemed like it was going to pass, seemed pretty simple. Those few words, equality of rights shall not be united or bridged uh, by any state in account of sex or the United States. Uh, then things got complicated, as we all know, and uh, Gail Rizik has articulated some of the uh, ideas in opposition, some of the, some of the fears. Uh, how do you remember those times, uh, both before it got complicated and, and then after? Yes, it, uh, it got very complicated, and as I recall, um, the LDS Church made a very firm statement about their stand on it, and suddenly all the votes evaporated in the legislature, and it was simply over. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, now, go that's ahead. my recollection as well. And, yes. You know, one of the—this is Christine Durham speaking—one of the— uh, really quite amazing ironies of this discussion, and particularly some of the comments that Ms. Rizika made, is that Article 4, Section 1 of the Utah Constitution, adopted in 1895 and unchanged since that date, says both male and female citizens of the state shall enjoy equally all civil, political, and religious rights and privileges. So Utah has had an equal rights provision in its constitution from the beginning of its existence. Uh, And likewise, one of the interesting things is that after the failure of ratification of the federal equal rights amendment in Utah, in the mid-70s, I think it was 1975-76, a joint um, subcommittee of the Utah State Legislature, the House and Senate, went through each and every one of Utah's statutes and removed and equalized every single statute that contained discriminatory language where men and women were treated differently under law. Uh, And became, therefore, Utah became one of the first states in the union to actually revise all of its sex-based or gender-based statutes. So uh, the notion that there weren't problems in the law is incorrect, but it's also, to me anyway, as a Utah, a matter of some pride that whatever our history and tradition and customs, we have always incorporated into both our fundamental law, our constitution, and into our statutes, the principle of equality based on gender. Mm. Uh, I want to maybe start with with you, uh, Christine Durham, with this, and I'll ask uh, everyone. Um, It's expressed in the film, and I'm sure those who passionately support Equal Rights Amendment uh, had to be devastating. 1982, the time ran out, uh, the the ERA failed. I wonder what what your emotions were at the time. Well, you know, by 1982, it had been clear for a number of years that, that the ratification effort Uh, was not likely to be successful. Actually, I think one of the stories that I tell in Nancy's film is um, of having, I moved here from North Carolina in 1973, and I had worked on ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment in North Carolina for a period of time. And North Carolina was the first state after the congressional passage of the ERA to fail to ratify. Uh, And that was a huge defeat. Uh, It was a very close vote. And then, you know, I moved to Utah, worked for ratification here, it failed here. There was not a single state after North Carolina which voted to ratify. So we could see it coming from some distance away. And a lot of us, um, it, it was devastating. There were there were a lot of extremely discouraged people, I know, uh, certainly in our community and around the nation. But I think a lot of us turned our efforts and our energies to doing the kinds of things that we did here in Utah, namely to go into our statutes and do the revisions that had to be done, started fighting the battle law by law, lawsuit by lawsuit, challenge by challenge. Uh, Many of us had believed quite firmly that the Federal Equal Rights Amendment would have would have assisted in in a sort of clean sweep of those problems, but as it turned out, it it turned into much more of a fragmented 
uh, series of attacks and battles, almost all of which were won as the years went by. But there was a period of great disappointment. Gail Ruzicki, you point out in the film that uh, those supporters of the Equal Rights Amendment uh, lost on the national level, they did uh, set out, as Christine Durham has said, to, to uh, seek those, those gains of the law piece by piece. And I wonder if you uh, are, are we generally better off because of that, uh, worse off? Do you, do, you, do you see things trending in the right or wrong direction? Well, I think exactly what Christine was talking about was the fact that, uh, you know, this, I mean, she talked about what they did here in the state of Utah. Nobody was complaining about that. It was to create a federal equal rights, you know, a change in the, in the federal constitution that not only said, here's what we're going to do on a federal level, but every state has to do the same taking away the state's rights to look at each individual thing. Nobody was against equal rights for women, uh, you know, that, that you went through, you looked at your state law, there were things out of, out of kilter there that you fixed. But this idea of just having this big blanket sweep of saying men and women are the same and we're, all, they're always going, you know, we're always going to treat everybody exactly the same under the law, uh, that, that was just should not have been. And, and as it's pointed out, there hit a point where there was no longer, as so many states were just sweeping across the nation, it almost got the, all the states that they needed to, to take it, uh, you know, to, to, to have it become law, uh, become actually a constitutional change, until the education started. You know, most of us were asleep during that time, saying, so, oh, okay, equal rights sounds great. So we really looked into it and said, what does this really mean? And if we have a constitutional change, what does that really mean? And all of a sudden, there was a wake-up call. And, and uh, as the education went forward, as, as women began to see what was really happening, no more states did it. It was, it was like, oh, wow, this is not what we wanted. Now, for each individual state to look within their own law, within their own statutes, and say, you know, we need to fix this, we need to change that, there's nothing wrong with that because uh, there maybe needed to be some changes. And if they make some changes and find out after they make these changes, whoops, this isn't working, it's easy to go back into the statute and, and fix what needs to be fixed. But it should not be a federal mandate across this nation into every state, because then we can't fix it. And so I don't think anybody ever said we don't want women to be equal. Of course everybody wants women to be equal. And, and I think probably the saddest thing that came from all this was the division among women. Uh, that should not have happened either. Women should have the right and the opportunity to go out and make choices, and we should support each other in those choices. For those women who want to stay home and, and be a full-time stay-at-home mother and rear their children, that's a wonderful and great choice, and we should support them in that. For those women who make other choices, who want to go out and, and have great careers, as uh, just as Christine Durham has, we should support each other in those decisions. We shouldn't be critical of each other or demean each other or, you know, we, we saw so much of, of uh, judge, being so judgmental, women who stayed home judging those who left their children at daycare centers, women who went out and worked in the world demeaning the women who stayed home by saying that what they did wasn't as important. Those kinds of things, and I'm, I'm not saying it's a majority, it, it, like everything, it's a minority, but it makes the, there's a lot of noise made. And so people began to make excuses for their choices, and that shouldn't happen. We should support each other in our choices and, and be grateful that we live in this great nation that gives us those choices. We are uh, talking about a new film, Makers, Voices of Utah Women. It's a new documentary film by Nancy Green. We're talking with her. It premieres on uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, actually, on KUED, and it's in conjunction with uh, a national uh, film called Makers, uh, looking at the women's movement time in the 1970s. Very, um, very important, and uh, I encourage you to watch the film. Uh, to uh, remind yourself about uh, some of the important times. We'll bring this forward as well as we go along. We're talking with uh, three women who uh, are participating in the film. Um, former Congresswoman Karen Shepard, Utah Supreme Court Justice Christine Durham, and Utah Eagle Forum President Gail uh, Ruzica. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll uh, ask uh, Karen Shepard to react to that time immediately, uh, during the time of ERA immediately after. Back after the break. Did you know that approximately 75% of students who receive mental health services get these services in school settings? School psychologists and school counselors are key mental health providers who help teachers and families maximize students' active engagement in learning and strengthen their personal, academic, and social development. 
Did You Know That? is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. Support for Access Utah is provided by Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Now open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits and lunch sandwiches. You're listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, the 1970s nationally and uh, specifically in Utah, a time of uh, change, and uh, specifically the women's movement. Makers, Voices of Utah Women is a new documentary. It uh, profiles those times uh, from uh, first-hand accounts, and uh, we're hearing some of those uh, directly and from the movie uh, from uh, producer Nancy Green and uh, three women featured in the film, former Congresswoman Karen Shepard, Utah Supreme Court Justice Christine Durham, and Utah Eagle Forum President Gail Ruzica. You're welcome to join the conversation if you would like at 1-800-826-1495. Perhaps you have your own memories of that time. Uh, and we're going to ask our guests as well as we go along what uh, they hope that young women take from these uh, times. And looking back this history specifically, 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, Karen Shepard, I, I know that one of the outcomes from the whole uh, ERA movement and debate in Utah was, was a... Uh, a magazine network, and uh, I believe you described this as for women who work out of the home and the men who live and work with them. Yes, that's true. And uh, we we decided that uh, women needed a way to communicate with each other, particularly the working women, and that uh, the men that they were living with and working with uh, Needed, we needed all a way to talk to each other, and network ended up uh, being a vehicle for that. We had a, a um, an editorial board that had uh, men on it and women on it, and we were all working. And it was uh, subscribed to by around 20,000 people in Utah and offices in Utah. It was in many offices. And uh, we uh, still to this day, actually, I can be in a market or walking down the street and people will come up to me and say, I know you. And they're not talking about Congress. They're talking about network. They'll say, I came here in 1985, and I subscribed to Network, and it saved my life. Thank you. Because um, those were days when people had trouble with workplace issues, and that's what we wrote about. And we wrote about them from every possible direction, trying to talk about those sensitive issues that came up for both men and women in the workplace, uh, it's amazing how difficult those issues were in those days. Now I think those issues, I, I, I read those, I have been solved relatively, but I still read the, the articles in the New York Times. There are still articles like this being written routinely. And they're like reading our old network. They're pretty much the same articles being written and the same issues being rediscussed. What What do you think that means? You You, you say you felt like there's has been progress, but if the same articles are being written, maybe progress to be made. Well, I think that uh, it's a pretty human thing to have the same discussions over and over and over and over when, uh, you know, there are issues about what what should people wear, what kind of clothes uh, are too revealing or not too revealing, which kinds of clothes are appropriate, uh, what kind of language do you use when you're trying to be firm but not aggressive, how do you deal with... Uh, a boss who uh, orders you around inappropriately and uses language that uh, sounds like he's speaking to 
a child of his, not a peer of his. Mm. Uh, and Yes, go ahead. And you know, how do you come back on that appropriately when he's the one that pays you? Mm. And, uh, you know, those kinds of issues are very difficult in the workplace. Christine Durham, I want to get you to react to something that uh, Gail Ruzica uh, said in the in the documentary. Uh, something stood out to me. She said, during these times, everyone felt devalued where they were, talking about these judgments going back and forth uh, uh, between those who were in the home and and those who were in the workplace. I wonder if you felt or perceived that same thing. Oh, yes. Um, I, I certainly was aware that there were many who were critical uh, of my family's choices about our lifestyle i and you know you 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 would pick it up and often it was it was well meant but very revealing of people's attitudes people who would you know sort of look at me sympathetically and say are you still working dear clearly believing that my husband wasn't capable of supporting me and you know it it was a very difficult time i really wanted to follow up on uh, karen's comment though because uh, while I do think that we have to uh, an almost complete extent revised our legal system, the constitutional guarantees are in place, the statutory guarantees are in place, but what we still struggle with are uh, what social psychologists refer to as implicit attitudinal biases. It's the sort of unexamined and sometimes even unacknowledged and unconscious stereotypes that all of us carry around with us. And it's women carry them and men carry them. They can be based on race, ethnicity, gender, uh, socioeconomic differences. We human beings seem to be wired to be uncomfortable with difference in others. And there's a lot of research that's gone in uh, to this. And one of the things I'm so concerned about it is that if you look around at the institutions of power and influence in this country and certainly around the world, uh, notwithstanding the fact, for example, in my profession that women constitute close to 50% of the students uh, who are coming out of American law schools, they constitute less than 20% of the equity partnerships in private practice. They constitute less than 30 percent of the state and federal judges. Um, The same is true in academia, in business, in politics. Uh, We only have to look at our state legislatures and our own Congress to realize that women, although the legal barriers have been removed, have still not been able to occupy positions of decision-making and policy-making commensurate with the sort of social and economic power that they wield in this country. And my own view is that the struggle continues, but that it's on a much more personal level now, that we, we really have to deal with expectations and attitudes. And this is something that concerns me greatly for our young women coming along, because they haven't experienced discrimination of a legal or an overt nature in education and in job hunting and in wages and so on. But they are still up against those um, deep-seated, unexamined attitudes that may limit the opportunities that are available to them. And we've got, we've, we still have a lot of work to do. Hmm. Let me uh, take up that thread with uh, Gail Ruzica. You've, uh, because Christine Durham there was talking about uh, you know this, this unconscious, uncomfortable feeling that we have with differences. You've said that these differences, uh, you know, in the, in the other respect, are are good. Um, I wonder if you, uh, first of all, if if you see uh, the same thing that uh, perhaps you would like for young women to have greater opportunities, uh, but preserving some of those differences that that you find it, that are good. Uh, how do you go about it then? How do, if, if, if you want more opportunities for women, how to go about it? Well, one thing, you know, for instance, talking about here in the Utah legislature, um, if, you, if you look at the races, not very many women choose to run. Uh, in Utah, I think especially, we, we, they look at that. It's, uh, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, there's not a lot of money involved. And uh, 
you know, if they have young children and they're rearing children, there have been those, uh, Becky Lockhart being one of them, that uh, chose to uh, go to the legislature when she had small children, but she had parents that kind of moved in and helped out. And and so the choices, you know, sometimes are just that the women aren't, uh, you know, trying to take that opportunity. Most of the women uh, in the Utah legislature have uh, been women whose children made this choice. Those children were reared. So there wasn't very many of them. But if you watch what happens, when a woman runs for political office in Utah, uh, they win. They they have a really good they, – they actually have a great opportunity of winning, and they do win most of their races. Uh, school boards are a very good example most of the time when women run for the school board, they're the ones that win. If you see a woman, woman lose, it's usually because she's running against another woman. And you see a lot of that at the legislature, too. So I don't think it's because people won't vote for women. I don't think it's because their colleagues up there won't accept them. If that's the case, we wouldn't have a woman as Speaker of the House now. So I think we've seen all kinds of progress like that, and, and it's uh, most of the time anymore. We see the women at the state school board, for instance, as the chairman of the school board. So I think people are making choices, I think, uh, you know, and they're choosing to, to vote for women when they choose to run. But that's, again, the great thing about being a woman. We sometimes have opportunity to even make more choices because if we are fortunate to have somebody who is helping us pay the bills, we can go out and make some other choices. But, yes, there are some of those things that, that we've heard talked about here. I have seen it with my own daughters. I, I have a, uh, one daughter particularly who has, has been back in D.C. for several years, uh, working in various positions. She's now with the FBI. And uh, not not with the FBI, but before she went to the FBI, uh, she often had situations where where she would have uh, people that were her superiors, bosses, that would, would treat her more like the secretary instead of the position that she'd been hired for. But she's a pretty strong, strong girl, and so she would stand up for herself and and let them know that she wasn't the secretary, that wasn't what she was hired to do, and point out to them what she was hired to do. So sometimes, you know, they have to take that initiative, but there are still some of those old ways of thinking, and I think our young women are going to have to be taught to to stand up for that position. Whatever that position is that they're hired to do, they have a right to to fulfill that position. And uh, I think, we, you know, the percentages of women uh, in the workforce and in, in some of these uh, other positions that they didn't have in the past are, is growing all the time. And, uh, but, again, a lot of women choose to stay home and rear children, so that puts less of the women out there in the workforce. Uh, and, you know, we, we see numbers that show all these women working, but when, when you break those numbers down, so often they, these are women working part-time so that they can work around their children's schedule. And when you work part-time and work around schedules, true, you don't get the opportunities as somebody who, who has a, a career and who's, who, who can put in the long, long hours. And we as women don't always make those choices. But I think it's wonderful that we're women. We have more choices usually. We can, we can pick at, you know, a time in our life when we want to stay home and rear our children or maybe because we have to do work some of the time, we might be able to work part-time or, or explain to our, our bosses about our children and, and ask to work around their schedules. And when we make those choices, uh, often it affects, you know, in some ways our, our, the pay scale, but it certainly will affect advancements and other things because we're making a different choice while we're rearing our children. Once the children are reared and out of the home, then uh, some, often things will change. But... I love that about being a woman. I love the fact that uh, we can make all these different choices and, and still find time to, to, uh, for our family. I want to uh, ask Karen Shepard. Uh, I'm not sure if you uh, remember someone saying the following thing in the film, and I can't remember whether, whether it's you or not. I'll have you respond in any case. Uh, that each generation has to fight this battle over again. And I wonder what you would tell young women about that. It's absolutely true. And I'd just like to talk for a minute about wages, if I could, in Utah. When uh, we started Network, uh, the wages of women in Utah on average were 55 cents for a dollar made by a man. They've risen uh, somewhat. They're up to 69 cents on a dollar uh, against a national average of 78 cents on a dollar, we're still, you know, considerably behind a national average. And Gail is right, slightly more women work part
part-time in Utah than uh, work part-time nationally. But even given that, um, we have 59% of uh, all women with preschool children working in Utah. So you you have a, a situation where women are getting married at the age of 23 and they're not graduating from high from college we have the largest gap between men and women graduating from college in the entire nation which i feel is a, a huge step backwards for women in utah and something that we should be truly alarmed about. And I believe it's uh, an indictment of our entire education system, actually. I think it's a result of the many, many long years of uh, deprivation of uh, funding of 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 our primary and secondary education systems which is the legislature has uh, deprived of funding for many years and 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 so the the young women are simply going into college they're not staying there they're they're leaving college and they're not prepared for work but they go to work at very 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 low level jobs they get low level pay and they're they're uh, working part time or they're working full time at very low wages, and that's where they're staying. And it's one of the reasons that uh, they spend uh, a lot of hours for their whole lives, uh, not making very much money. And it's one of the reasons that they have a lot of economic insecurity throughout their lives. 74%, and that's a very big number, of of women with school-age children are working. And so even if you take out a goodly number of those, uh, I think it's 18%, that are working part-time, you still have a very high number of women that are working full-time, and uh, they're working at very low wages. So uh, this is this is not good, and it's, it's not um, something to be proud of. And I think, I used to say at the time that the Equal Rights Amendment failed and at the time we were trying to uh, talk to women through network about being serious about their careers. I used to say that reality will always win. Somehow or another, women will get the idea that it's silly to work until. That's what women do. They say, I'll work until we buy the car. I'll work until I get enough money to get a down payment on our house, and then I'll quit. I'll just work until. But it it turns out that they work until they've worked for 30 years, and they've never made a decent wage, and they've never had a career that yielded them any real satisfaction. And it's a terrible mistake for women to do that. And I just wish that we could get to them and have them at a young age take their lives more seriously instead of working until while they are also having a family. Because speaking as a person who had a family... And a career, as Christine did, and obviously as Gail Rizika has done, you can do both. I want to. We're uh, we're running out of time. I want to play a, a final clip, get a reaction uh, from Nancy Green, and some final comments. Uh, here's a a quote from Terry Tempest Williams from the film. 
And, you know, I think about my mother. In her Relief Society, she spoke out on behalf of the ERA during that contentious time here in Salt Lake City. These are my mother's words. One of the good things to come out of women's rights movements around the world over the years is the intellectual awakening that has come to women themselves. The degree of our aliveness depends on the degree of our awareness. There are two important days in a woman's life, the day she is born and the day she finds out why. That is uh, typically very poetic. This is from Terry Tempest Williams' uh, mother. Nancy Green, I'm, I'm wondering why you selected that. That seems to be a, have, a hold important place in your film. Um, because I think that that's the core of it, is that a lot of these discussions are centered around what is our role as, as women? What's our role? What does it even mean to be a woman? Um, the, the awakening of the possibilities that we have. And a lot of we're talking about our choices. And you know, choices to have family, choices to have career, choices to have both. And I think it's interesting that um, that I think the things we really need to fight for still are the avenues that allow us to, to be fulfilled as women, whichever choice we make. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at the pay scale that we've been talking about, I think if you look at, at laws that uh, or, or policies that don't really support um you know, men or women taking time off to take care of their families, or, or whatever your choice is, I think that, I think that we really need to examine where we are as women in the world and what we want for our future. And I think as young women, we often, um, or the young women I've been talking to, they they don't always think in those terms. We feel like we've arrived, and and I question if we really have arrived. I want to get to just very brief uh, final comments from from our guests. Maybe starting with uh, Christine Durham. What uh, final word would you have about the, these times, or what do you want people to know? Well, I, I like um, Karen Shepard. I want young women to understand that they have to take responsibility for their futures, and that education is the key. It's all very well to talk about choice, but choice in the marketplace belongs to a very small fraction of women, women with um, sufficient second incomes, uh, women with education. Uh, Most women have very few and limited choices in terms of how they'll be able to allocate their time and energy, and education will help them expand those choices. And Gail Ruzicka, some final comments. Well, I do want to mention that uh, I have been a full-time stay-at-home mother. As a comment was made that about career, I've not had a career. What I do is, is very volunteer. I, I stayed home, reared my children. I also uh, home, homeschooled my children. Now, that was my choice to do it that way. My, my daughters have all gone off to college. Uh, some have made the choice and married younger and didn't finish. Others finished and have multiple degrees. And uh, that's each each child has made their choice. Each each daughter has made their choice. And I think that's what is wonderful is that we can make those choices. But yes, I believe that education is very important, and certainly have encouraged my daughters and and others that I know and continue. We have quite a a large group of what we call our our teen eagles and our collegians that work with us in Eagle Forum, and and we are so you know encourage. Um, getting their education to stay in school because that education is so important. But we don't do it by discouraging marriage. We we just say, you know, continue to go to school, get get your education, and then make your choice of, of what you want to do with your life. But whatever choice you make uh, is your choice, and, and uh, you should have that right. We'll give the final uh, brief word to uh, Karen Shepard. I guess I would say that in the last year, there have been more moments of deja vu for me than I can imagine. We have talked about things that um, we fought for 30 years ago, and it's hard to believe that we are once again trying to preserve things that... uh, we were fighting for 30 years ago. So that that reminds me that young people have to be very vigilant. They have to get educated. They have to watch out uh, that they can 
um, preserve their rights to health care. They have to watch out that they can preserve their rights to get a an equal education. They have to really uh, pay attention to what they're looking at in the media, and they have to the the young women have to make sure that uh, they are going forward with vigilance because they it's a brave new world out there and it's not all finished for them they really need to look forward to their lives as pioneers because i think it is a new world ahead of them and uh, we will leave it there. Uh, Karen Shepard, a former uh, congresswoman, thank you so much. Uh, Utah Supreme Court Justice Christine Durham was joined. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Utah Eagle Forum President Gail Ruzica, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, producer of the film is Nancy Green. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, the uh, documentary is Makers, Voices of Utah Women. It will premiere on KUED tomorrow night. I go to KUED.org for more information on that. This is also part of a, uh, a larger initiative, Women and Girls Lead initiative. And there's a national uh, film on the women's uh, movement uh, that will be airing on uh, KUED as well. And uh, we'll go out with uh, another bit from the uh, film. Uh, here is uh, some vo- Here are some voices talking about um, a very interesting time in Utah's history, the in- in- uh, International Women's Year Conference. This is from the filmmakers, Voices of Utah Women. For producers Addison Pace and uh, Danny Hayes, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening. This young woman came out to me and said, Georgia, tell me how to vote. Tell me how to vote. And I said, God gave you a brain. Use it. You decide. You listen. You vote. You have the expectations that your parents and your family have on you, and then you have your the expectations that your church puts on you. So I had all these things pulling on me. And yet, in that voting booth, when I was thinking about the resolutions and, and how I would vote on those, it really came down to me and how I made choices or how I made ethical judgments about those issues that impacted women. It was one of the first times I'd really thought that there was a lot more for me to learn about my position as a woman in, in the world.